It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lysa Turkhurst. After five of the longest and most excruciating days of my life, a new doctor came to my hospital dressed in scrubs and prepped for surgery. He'd run one last test. And finally, we had some answers. The right side of my colon had ripped away from the abdominal wall and twisted around the left side. The blood flow was completely cut off. My colon had descended from the normal four centimeters in diameter to more than 14 centimeters. It had been in danger of rupturing when it was around 10 centimeters, at which point I would have felt relief from the intense pain. And it's at that exact time when many others suffering with this medical situation feel that relief and go to sleep. Their bodies turn septic and they die. The surgeon explained that he needed to rush me into emergency surgery and he'd be removing most of my colon. He was hoping to save enough that my body would eventually be able to function properly, but he wasn't sure. He wasn't even sure I'd make it through the surgery. And with that daunting news, I hugged my family, prayed with my pastor, and was wheeled into the surgical unit. Weeks later, while I was home recovering, the surgeon called me. He'd gotten the report back from the mass that was removed, and there was no further treatment needed. However, there was an alarming part of the report he couldn't reconcile, even with his years of practicing medicine. Lysa, I don't really like how people throw around the term miracle, but honestly, it's the only word I know to use in your case. The cells in your colon were already in a state of auto autolysis. This is where your brain has signaled your body to start self-digesting. It's decomposition. It's what happens when you die. Lysa, you can't get any closer to death than that. How you survived this, I can't explain. I hung up the phone, stunned, and I suddenly thought of those days before surgery when I was begging God to take away the pain. I had questioned God because of the pain. I had wondered how God would let me be in so much pain. And I had cried because I thought somehow God didn't care about my pain. But in the end, it was the pain that God used to save my life. The pain was what kept me in the hospital. The pain was what kept me demanding the doctors run more tests. The pain was what forced me to address what desperately needed to be attended to within my body. The pain was what made me allow a surgeon to cut my belly wide open. The pain was what saved me. Had God taken away the pain, he would have gone, I would have gone home, my colon would have been ruptured, my body would have turned septic, and I would have died. I now have a completely different picture of God standing beside my hospital bed while I was hurting and begging him to help me. He wasn't ignoring me. No, I believe it took every bit of holy restraint within him not to step in and remove my pain. He loved me too much to do the very thing I was begging him to do. He knew things I didn't know. He saw a bigger picture I couldn't see. His mercy was too great. His love was too deep. Indeed, he is a good, good father. My colon had been in trouble for a while. My stomach had been hurting for a while. But the pain hadn't been severe enough to force me to address what was happening below the surface. 
This isn't just true of physical pain. It's true of emotional pain as well. The emotional pain from the last chapter was also something brewing for a couple of years. But I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know exactly what I was dealing with. I discerned that something wasn't right, but discernment doesn't always give details. Once the truth surfaced, the pain was so intense I couldn't ignore it any longer. I had to do something about it. I needed God's help. And God longs to help us. Stop right here and personalize that statement. Say it out loud. God longs to help me. Now, keep this statement in the context of how God longs to help us. There are many things God longs to help us with, but at the core of it all, he longs to help us through the process of being made into the image of Christ. He is our ultimate example of wrestling well between divine faith and human feelings. So the more we become like him, the more we learn to trust God, no matter what our human eyes can see. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Please don't rush past this heart-stopping truth. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. He was fully God, but also fully human. His divinity was complete, but his humanity grew and matured and learned how to be obedient. It would take a lot of obedience to do life with humans who were so fickle, forgetful, disrespectful, untrusting, and unbending with their pride. It would take a lot of obedience to love people who spit on him, mocked him, and wronged him in every way. It would take a lot of obedience to go to the cross for these people, for all people, for you and me. His humanity suffered, really suffered. Hear the raw angst in this reality. He suffered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who would save him from death, who could save him from death. His humanity said, please don't, please not this. His humanity cried for something different. His humanity begged for another way. But his obedience he learned from suffering compelled him to trust God beyond what his physical eyes could see. Oh, dear God, help me trust you beyond what my physical eyes can see. As the winds of all that's uncontrollable whip around me and thrash against me, I need something to ground me. Steady me. Hold me together when circumstances are falling apart. I want to trust you beyond what my eyes can see. Can you imagine how much less anxiety, fear, angst, and heartbreak we would have if we could only trust God? I don't mean just saying we trust God because it's the Christian thing to say. I don't mean just singing words of trusting God because it's in the praise song. I mean having a marked moment. A real live moment we can point to and remind ourselves that we declared that we will trust God with this suffering, with this disappointment, with this situation. Jesus had many marked moments. We often read how Jesus got away to pray and be with his heavenly father. He would face something and need a marked moment with his father to trade his human desire for God's will. 
we read about one of the most memorable of these marked moments in Mark 14, when he asked God, take this cup from me. His humanity wanted a different plan, but his mar- but he marked his request with the ultimate statement of trusting God. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Mark 14:36. When Jesus taught us to pray, he modeled again marked moments of trust on a daily basis. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Matthew 6, 9-11 This is obedience. This is trust. Obedience is the daily practice of trusting God. So, the only way to gain the kind of trust in God we must have to survive and thrive in this life between two gardens is through the things that we suffer. Suffering. The very thing that makes us wonder if God is cruel. The very thing that makes us question God's goodness. The very thing I couldn't understand in that hospital bed. The very thing I don't want to be part of God's plan ever, ever, ever. Not for me, not for you, not for any human. But here's the craziest thing of all. God doesn't want you or me to suffer, but he will allow in it, but he will allow it in doses to increase our trust. Our pain and suffering isn't to hurt us. It's to save us. To save us from a life where we are self-reliant, self-satisfied, self-absorbed, and set up for the greatest pain of all, separation from God. Think about why we will yank a child back from running across the street. The initial jerk back may cause the child some pain and confusion, but that tiny bit of suffering is for the greater good of saving the child from the worst suffering of all, getting hit by a car. The worst suffering of getting hit by a car. The situation with my colon caused me lots of pain and confusion, but it was for the greater good of saving me from a colon rupture and possible death. To trust God is to trust his timing. To trust God is to trust his way. God loves me too much to answer my prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. In the quietness of all that doesn't feel right, the truth does. So I say again, and my suffering today isn't so intense. This truth calms me. God loves me too much to answer my prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. This doesn't change the fact that I want all of this to go away. I want happy. I want normal. I want easy. I want to wake up tomorrow morning with my husband's arms around me as he assures, assures me that it was all just a bad dream. That's what I want, because that's all I can conceive as a good plan. However, God sees things I can't see. He knows things I don't know. Only God knows when the good plan, what the good plan is and what it will take to get me there. And most of all, God knows if I saw the full road ahead, I would stop about halfway through and never choose to continue with his plan. I would think the cost is too high. The path is too scary the way too daunting and the enemy too frightening. No human is strong enough to withstand seeing too much of God's plan in advance. It must be revealed daily, and we must be led to it and through it slowly. 
God is the perfect one to show us the way, the truth, and the life. The one who understands how hard the 86,400 seconds of one day can be. God doesn't just stand back while we are suffering and say, good luck. I hate that you're in pain, but welcome to the reality of living in a sin-soaked world. Hang on. Deal with it. Eventually, I'll do something good with it all. No, God sent his son Jesus to be his help with skin on. Jesus came to share in our humanity, to feel what we feel, to hurt like we hurt, to suffer like we suffer, to be tempted like we are tempted, to defeat what we fear, to set us free from the curse of sin and death, and to lead us through this life between two gardens. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that his death he might so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to god and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 2, 14-15 and 17-18